Right, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Why don't we turn to our neighbor and uh, just greet them and say, uh, it's good to see you in the house of God. <sighs> Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ has died on the cross for the sins of men. Amen? Amen. And Christ has gone through too much and suffered and bled and died. He did not go through the pains and agonies of the cross just so that we can attend church or just so that we can do church. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to declare today that the days of attending and being and hallelujah, the days of attending and going to church are over and the days of being the church are here. Amen. That means you don't have to step into a sanctuary to experience the power of God. Wherever each person who is filled with the spirit of God goes, there will be at those places the very presence and power of God flowing out. The very life of God, the living water flowing out into the lives of those who otherwise would never step foot into a church. This is the hour in which we are stepping in right now. Hallelujah. And thus is the reason God is pouring out his spirit upon the earth in unprecedented fashion. And we are seeing things that we have never seen before. Because our God is a God who saves the best for last. And the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. Praise the Lord. Jesus is returning soon. And. Oh hallelujah. It's all over the world. I posted a, a film called Finger of God. It's something I knew about. Never got to finish. I never really got to watch it. Um, and uh, last night when I should have been preparing my message. I, I saw some clips from Finger of God. It's a powerful film. Uh, highly recommend it. It's like a documentary of. The uh, charismatic movement going on in the world right now. And they cover uh, people like Jason Westerfield, uh, Heidi Baker, um, and, and Sid Roth is in there, and other, other people that you might not know about. Uh, I highly recommend you go check out the film. It will pump you up. It's not something you can pay $10 and go find at a box office. Uh, hallelujah. And, and uh, I'm going to try to order the DVD so we can maybe screen it here at our church. I think it will kind of lift the faith of many people here because some of y'all need some faith. I look at y'all, you need some faith. Hallelujah. You need to see some stuff going on in the world so that your faith may rise up so that you can, you can know that you're supposed to go out there and do it yourself. Last week was a milestone for our church. We had our first ever membership classes. And uh, people signed their membership covenant. And I would love to announce who they are, but uh, I was away at a CCC conference all week, so I didn't have a chance to process everyone's uh, covenant. So uh, we'll be soon announcing the names of all those who were uh, formally accepted. So our church is uh, stepping into new levels of maturity and commitment uh, with this move, and it's an exciting time, amen? amen? And we're truly becoming a family of God, 
Commit it to God and commit it to each other. Hallelujah. And we won't just say we love, but brothers and sisters, who knows that love is a verb. Amen? Let us not love with words, but in actions and in truth, the Word of God says. There used to be an old good DC Talk song called Love is a Verb. That's for those who kept up with Christian music back then. But I know many of you were backslidden at that state, and you probably don't know what song I'm talking about. It's all good. Praise the Lord that you're here and that God has redeemed you from your backslidden state. Uh, there are some who talk to me about making up the class. And uh, I will be in touch with you to arrange this. Um, for those who uh, will be applying at another time, the next membership classes will be offered at the end of September. And uh, we really want you not just to attend our church, but to really become part of our community. Because your growth, maturity, your healing, all those things is com- connected to other people. God uses other people to bless and minister to you in that way. And so we don't want to ha- see you miss out on that. So we're really excited about the 60, 65 people that, that got to sign our covenant last week. And uh, we'll be starting from there. You know, yesterday, uh, a bunch of us, we went out for outreach on the streets of Itaewon and Shinchon. It's an exciting time. Um, hallelujah. Kiyun and I, uh, we, uh, we were paired up. And uh, we did a treasure hunt. Uh, what we do in a treasure hunt is we take time and we ask God to show us clues to whom we should talk to and uh, like names or, or what we could um, look for as we go out onto the street so we don't just approach people randomly. And as we did that, uh, God put on Keon's spirit and he wrote down a red cap with a blue or black rim and white Nike sneakers. So while waiting at a stoplight, we looked to our right and we saw a guy that matched this exact description his name was sam he was the son of an african-american pentecostal preacher and keon just he did a great job let me tell you right now he he just he just came to our he just came to our church like a month ago i don't know who this kid is but uh i mean he's really stepping it up uh praise the lord and he did a great job just stepping out and he, he told this guy sam uh like he believes that god sets up divine appointments and that he uh he feels like god wants Wanted him to talk into and speak into Sam's life. So that's exactly what he did. Hallelujah. And uh, we ended our time together by having Kiyun bless Sam in prayer. And then next, uh, we stood in front of Perry Baguette trying to uh, target Korean Americans. Because uh, many of us, when we're out there, uh, we, we just passed by Korean Americans thinking that they might be Korean natives. Right? So we, we took time to do that. And one of the um, items that was on my list was a yellow rubber Live strong bracelet, if you guys know what that is. And so um, that's when I saw an Asian guy with a great polo. And I had actually seen him twice earlier in the day. And so when God sends you something three times, he's usually trying to give you a message. <laughs> so I see this guy crossing the street. And unfortunately, he quickly went into um, a store. And as I was kind of like watching him from a distance, I noticed he had some kind of bracelet on. It looked kind of yellow. Maybe it was dirty. So I wasn't sure if it was exactly yellow or not. And uh, I decided just to let it go. But uh, Kiwan felt like we should go after him. So we went inside the store and couldn't find him. And uh, we just came back out and, and we wanted to keep moving. But we felt like God was not giving us that peace to move yet. So we stuck around a little bit more. And then finally, just when we decided to move on, 
Guess who comes out of the store? Guy with the gray polo shirt. I just went right up to him like I knew him. I said, excuse me, is that a lift strong bracelet I see on your, on your wrist? And he was like, oh, uh, yeah, it is, yeah. And uh, lo and behold, it was. And um, we, this guy's name was Jeff. Uh, he grew up in Shanghai, went to an international school. He had a fluent English. He's a senior at Hanyang University. And uh, we, we found our treasure. So we just spoke into his life. His family's Christian, but he hasn't been particularly strong in his faith these days. Uh, we just spoke into his life, uh, just the words of life. And we asked if I could, uh, we asked if we could pray for him. That in the next 48 hours, that God will make himself real to him. And he, and he said, sure, go for it. So we just took that time and we, and we pray for him. And we know that Jesus is going to really answer that prayer. Hallelujah. And uh, it was a wonderful time. We had a lot of fun last, uh, yesterday. And um, I think it's, really, it's a lot of fun stepping out in faith and learning how to discern the leading of the Lord. I mean, in the beginning, uh, you feel like, you know, you're just making stuff up. And you probably are in the beginning. Uh, but, you know, as you stay close to Jesus... You know, you learn to recognize his voice more and more. And, and those clues are going to come with greater clarity. And brothers and sisters, I believe that New Philadelphia here, we're going to continue to step out. We're going to see healings, miracles, signs, and wonders right on the streets. Amen? We're going to see the kingdom of God manifest with power out on the streets of Seoul. Amen? And because we are the army of God, we're going to engage the arm. We're going to engage the enemy. And the church, we need to stop playing defense. And we need to go on the offensive and take the fight to his territory and possess the gate of our enemies. Hallelujah. Because it says in 1 Corinthians 4.20, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. You know, when we go out there on the streets, evangelism is not just about talk, 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 talk. Man, it's about, you sick? Where are you sick? Man, let me pray for you right now. I bet Jesus will heal that. I believe Jesus heals. And I'm going to pray for Can I pray for you? And sometimes you don't even get their permission. You're like, you're like I want to pray for you. And you think you got their permission, but you didn't. Make, make sure you get their permission. But, uh, but sometimes, hallelujah. And you know what? As we do that, God's going to heal people. Because he's doing that already. Right? If you watch that movie, Finger of God, you got high school students, college students. They spend their Friday nights going out onto the streets. To do treasure hunts. And they think that's more exciting than life in the clubs. Hallelujah. And you know what? If you, did, if you do both, you will know. Talk to Mina. All right. She knows. She knows it's more exciting to go on a treasure hunt on Friday night than to be up in a club. Hallelujah. Don't get me started. I know others in here that are... Just came out of the club last weekend. Um, hallelujah. Um, but uh, these experiences I mentioned yesterday with Q, and, uh, you know, they were, they were very positive experiences. And by the way, hallelujah, uh, I just want to say I'm very proud of uh, some of you guys in here, uh, especially some of you who are very uh, new to our church, who are young in your faith. Uh, but you guys went out there yesterday, stepped out, and it really made me proud. And... Uh, uh, my wife, Erin, went out with Aviel. And I'm really proud of Aviel, man. She was just so on fire. And she was so happy. And uh, they actually met um, 
uh, Sarah out here. And Sarah actually decided to come out to church today. So be sure to say hi to her later. She's from Syracuse, New York. And uh, <laughs> hallelujah. Uh, we hope that you're blessed today, Sarah. Welcome to, the, welcome to our church. Um, now, these are positive experiences I'm mentioning, but we must not fail to mention the experiences that are not so positive. The experiences where we get rejected, ridiculed, or rebuked for the name of Christ. How many of you in here experienced that when you went out on the streets in the last month? All right. Those are some wounded people. Go pray for them afterward. <laughs> now, even yesterday, there was a respectable-looking young man whom we approached, and he listened to what I had to say. But he took off to mention the moment I mentioned anything about Christianity. And uh, actually, when we went out to evangelize about last winter, I think I told you guys this already. There was a woman whom I approached as I was crossing the street. And I said, I just, I'm just out here. I just want to share the love of Christ with you. And she started yelling at me. She said, you are so arrogant. And she turned around. She kept walking. And then she turned back around. And I went, you are so arrogant. Can't believe you. How dare you? And I I whoa, you know? Hallelujah. <laughs> now, in these experiences, brothers and sisters, we must remember never to take things personally. Not to allow such experiences to wound us. Instead, Jesus said, when these things happen to you, you ought to rejoice. Because it's a form of blessing. It's a blessing. We don't think of it that way, but you got to flip it around and look at it like a blessing. But Jesus said in Matthew 5, 11, 12, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. He says, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. But I want to ask a question today. Why would people insult us, persecute us, and falsely say all kinds of evil against us because of Christ? What, is our, is our product not very good? I mean, why would people do this to us? And our passage in 1 Corinthians 1.18 today, it tells us why. Let's look at verse 18 together. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. The Word of God reads, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Amen. Now, the Apostle Paul, he says here that the message of the cross is folly, foolishness, stupidity, lunacy. To those who are perishing, the cross is just utter nonsense. It's just folly. In fact, to the person who is educated, the cross is an, inter- it's an insult to their intellect. And to a person who may believe in another religion, the cross is an offense. It is offensive. And so no matter how high of an IQ a person has, the unaided human intellect 
will not be able to comprehend the wisdom of the cross. I don't care if you have master's degrees, PhDs, doctors, whatever you got. Without the grace of God, you will never comprehend the richness, the beauty, the wisdom of the cross. It will just be foolishness to you. Why do people get upset us on the street? Why do they falsely say all kinds of evil against us? Why do they persecute us? Because the message that you're giving them is foolishness to them. It's offensive to them. What you think that only you are going to heaven? And what all the Hindus and the Buddhists and the Muslims in the world, they all go to hell? That is so arrogant. That's what people say. You know, in fact, it's not even an IQ issue. It's just, it could be a frequency issue. No matter how many times a person hears the gospel, unless the Spirit of God quickens their heart, mind, and will, a person will never bow their knee and surrender their lives to Christ. Did you know that? There are people who have heard the gospel a bazillion times. Who each time they hear it, it's almost like their hearts get more hard to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, the cross is an offense to a lost world. And therefore today I'm preaching on the stigma of the cross. Stigma. Um, the, I don't know. The sting. The, the wound. Not the wound. The, uh, the offense of the cross, the stigma of the cross. If you truly stand and believe on the message of the cross, people around you will be offended. And there will be a stigma that is attached to you because you are a follower of that message. And brothers and sisters, what I'm here to tell you, I'm here to tell you is this stigma is God-ordained. This stigma is normal. You know, some of us, we face this stuff and we go, man, can't you see how much we love you? Don't you see how much God loves you? Don't you see how logical this message is? And they think it's this message. They think it's an issue of logic. They think it's an issue of being able to, to help them to understand it. But I'm telling you here, it's not that issue. God has ordained the cross to be offensive. And I'll explain why I believe that God has done that. Let's look at verse 22 to 24. In verse 22 to 24. Verse 22. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ is the power and wisdom of God. Amen? Amen. Now, Paul mentions here that to the Jews, the cross is a stumbling block. Now, we need to ask the question, why was the cross a stumbling block? And why is it still a stumbling block to Jews? Well, this is because the Jews, they expected a political Messiah to come that would be triumphant over the Roman uh, oppressors, and establish a political government just as King David had at one time. 
And this was the expectations of the Jews. They expected a triumphant Messiah, not a crucified one. And actually, um, when Jesus was still on the earth, before he was crucified, he kept telling his disciples, in a few days, I'm going to go up to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the high priest. They're going to try me. And then I'm going to be crucified. And then I'm going to die. And on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. And each time Jesus did that, the disciples just completely blew him off. Isn't that something? They call him rabbi, teacher, master, rabbi, teacher, rabbi, teacher. And, all, and he says one of the most important teachings he could ever give them. And they just blow him off. All right, what does Peter do? I will be handed over to the hands of men. They will beat me. Flog me. Crucify me. And on the third day, I will die. I will die. I mean, I'll, I'll die and on the third day. I will rise again from the dead. And Peter said, Never be it so, Lord. Never. It's not what's supposed to happen to the Messiah. Why did Peter react so strongly? You know why? Because the cross was an offense. It was a stumbling block to Peter's mind. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are not supposed to be crucified, Jesus, in case you didn't know. Let me tell you what the Christ is supposed to do. It was a stumbling block. Actually, according to the law in Deuteronomy 21, the Bible says anyone who was hung on a tree was cursed. So to the Jews, they thought it was impossible for God to bring a curse and take a curse upon himself. So the cross was a stumbling block and still is a stumbling block to the Jews. Now to the Gentiles, to the Greeks, the cross was foolishness. Why? Because as you know, much of our Western culture is, has come from the Greeks. Come from all those great thinkers like Aristotle and Plato and all those guys who were really gifted in their mind. And they were very intellectual at this time. Perhaps they were even more intellectual than many of us are here in, in this room. And, and the Greeks and, and Romans, they, 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 they believed that no reputable person would ever be crucified. In fact, it was illegal for a Roman citizen to be crucified, no matter what their crime. Crucifixion was reserved for the lowest of all criminals. Now, there were no examples in Greek or Roman mythology of a crucified God. This just made no sense to them. Why would Almighty God ever subject himself to such humiliation and suffering? Just intellectually, it just was. What? What is this message that you believe? That's stupid. That does not make sense. Why would God, Almighty God, you say, claims, have created the heavens and the earth? Why would he ever do that? And these great thinkers, they saw the cross as foolishness. It was unthinkable that one who died a criminal's death will go on to become the savior of the world. Now, let me ask you guys a question. Do you think God knew that the Jews and Greeks would think this way about the cross? 
is a rhetorical question, but thank you for answering. <laughs> now, some people think that, uh, not you, but some people think that God didn't know. That, and after sending his son, he had this unfortunate incident on his hands. Oh, man. Maybe this wasn't the best way to kill my son. Because nobody is accepting this message. It's offensive to people. You know? Uh, wow, my son will be crucified. He'll die for the sins of the world. And perhaps God thought it was so glorious. But then when he actually saw the people's response, he had this unfortunate incident on his hands. Is that what happened? Right? You think God didn't know that this would be the response? Actually, maybe if you guys are, are thinking this way, maybe the deeper question is, did God design it this way? How about that? Was it just the consequences of decisions that God had to make in order to redeem man? Or was it actually God designed to not only save man, but the message of that salvation will be packaged in great stigma, in great offensiveness? That's the real question. Now, um, if God did know that the Jews and Greeks would respond with such uh, rejection of the cross of Jesus Christ. If God did know, why would he send his son and die, to die this way? Because isn't the goal of God to save as many people as possible? Isn't that the goal of God? That seems to be the goal of Billy Graham. I mean, I, and God bless Billy Graham. He's a great man of God. God used him in a mighty way. But you know, the Arminian would say, yes, that is the goal of God. The goal of God is to save as many souls as possible. Come on. That's what a lot of you guys in here, you really believe. And my message today is going to offend you. You know what? It's my, not my message. If I'm interpreting the scriptures rightly, it's just what's in the Bible. And I'm going to deliver it. Because it needs to be preached. Isn't the goal of God to save as many people as possible? And the Arminian would say, yes, that is his goal. And then the Arminian would be clueless as to how to answer this question. This question uh, of, then why would God do this? Why would God send his son through the cross? He wouldn't know how to answer this. Other than the fact that it demonstrates how ugly our sin really is. Now, it begs to be asked, why would God, knowing that the cross would have such a strong stigma and that so many respectable people would be offended and rejected, why would God offer his salvation to the world in such an ugly and unattractive package? Why? Is God just a bad salesman? Is he just a, is he just a messy savior? Does he not, does he, God not taking marketing classes? Come on, when we do evangelism campaigns, what do a lot of churches do? They package these outreaches and they package the gospel in such a nice way. Come on, this is for everybody, you and your cousins and all your friends. And they expect everybody to get saved because it's such a nice, attractive message because they package it that way. 
But if you really study the Bible, the way that God packages the gospel is not in that way. Because God comes at you raw. He just comes at you the way it is. Hallelujah. Why would God use such an ugly and unattractive package? Why? And brothers, this is once again why your pastor is such a strong Calvinist. Now, where the Arminian would say the goal of God is to glorify himself by saving as many people as possible, the Calvinist would say the goal of God is to glorify himself in the riches of his mercy, justice, wisdom, and power. God will be glorified in the saving of many, but also in the judgment of many. God will be glorified when many people get the gospel message and they believe the gospel message and God will be glorified as many reject it with a hard heart, with cursing in their mouths. God will be glorified in the riches of his mercy, justice, wisdom, and power. Now, the surprising thing about all of this is God just doesn't do this with salvation. He does this with a lot of other things as well. For example, the outpouring of God's spirit on the earth today. Why can't it come in a more nicer package? So that your professors and your seminary professors and all the pastors that you ever grew, grew up with, so that it can all be in agreement that this is from God. Why does the charismatic movement come in such an ugly package? With people who have failures, people who are poor, people who are uneducated, people who are mess-ups. They're the ones who are carrying the power of God in the charismatic movement. And there's all kinds of signs and wonders happening. And some of these signs, they clearly are in the Bible and, and people accept that. And there are other signs and people are like, that's from the devil. And they reject it because it's offensive. You know, back in the uh, early 90s when Toronto Airport Church started experiencing holy laughter. Do you know how many people, just how many people rejected that move and called it demonic? There were books written on it. Counterfeit Revival. John MacArthur, Hank Hanegraaff, all these guys. They rejected it. They said, that is not in the Bible. You're not supposed to laugh in church. <laughs> well, at least, you know, at the pastor's jokes, but you're not supposed to laugh, you know, in the middle of prayer or in the middle of praise. What's wrong with you? Crazy people laugh for no reason. Right? I mean, why are you laughing? Why is everybody in this church service laughing? It was offensive to many people. Why, why does God package some of, his, some of his mightiest moves in such an offensive package? Why? Sorry, I'm yelling into the mic. And what I'm here to say is that, the, that this pattern is a normal protocol for God. Now, I want to give you a clue as to why, you, why I think God does this. 
why does God make it so hard to recognize him and so easy to reject him? Look at verse 19 to 21. I believe it's whole answers, close to the answer. Verse 19 to 21. Look at verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. What I believe this, message, this passage is saying is that God ordains things like the cross, things that are offensive and has a stigma. He does this to make it hard to recognize him because it pleases him to destroy the wisdom of the wise because it pleases him to thwart the discernment of the discerning or so-called discerning people. In other words, God has pleasure in overthrowing the scholars of this world. God has pleasure in overthrowing the wisdom of this world. The wisdom that bleeds through the front pages of the New York Times. The wisdom written in all the many books in your libraries. The wisdom of the world. God gets pleasure in destroying that wisdom. He loves to hide his secrets from the most educated and the most proud men on the earth. God has pleasure in confounding, confusing the scribe. It's not that God never saves educated scholars. It's just that not all educated scholars get saved. Do you get it? And when he does save them, be sure that it will be after the scholar is thoroughly humbled. Because you will not come to the cross with pride in your heart. Uh, Look at verse 27 to 29. Look at this. God chose what is, somebody say foolish. foolish. In the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Have you ever felt like a fool? I wouldn't know. Have you ever been despised? Have you ever felt weak? Have you ever... Felt like just you're the you're the lowest of low on the earth. Oh, well, there's good news, brothers and sisters. God has chosen you. The bottom line of what this passage is saying is God does the things He does in order to strip away all boasting. 
and to destroy all forms of human pride before his presence. As it is written, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Amen? The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. This is the gift of God so that no one should boast. Hallelujah. The reason why God does things like ordain the cross, which is offensive, to save people. He ordains things that are rejected by man to save people. The reason why he does that is so that there shall be no boasting before him. So, brothers and sisters, when we go out and we share Christ to a lost and fallen world, do not be surprised by their rejection of your message. This is normal. Just keep preaching the cross because God has ordained the preaching of the cross. He has ordained the seemingly foolish message to save many. You may feel like a fool because you are carrying a foolish message. But don't let the devil trick you. You keep preaching that seemingly foolish message. Because that is exactly what God has ordained to save many. This is is good stuff. I don't know if y'all can know this. And don't be surprised when you see a great response in third world countries and little response in the Western world. The most educated world will seemingly, will simply find that the cross is offensive. And they will find it more difficult to humble themselves to that message. This is why Jesus said, blessed are the poor. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. God has hidden his power in the things that are foolish, weak, despised, looked down upon. God has hidden his power in these things. That includes you. God hides his power. He puts these treasures in what? Jars of clay. To show forth that this all-surpassing power is not from us, but from God. Hallelujah. If God only put his power in people that have it all together, people in three-piece suits. I don't wear three-piece suits every day. But people who have these nice degrees and never have a failure in their life, people who have all the intellectual IQ, people who have everything together, if only God put his power in them, guess who's going to get the glory? God will not have it that way. Hallelujah. Look at uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. It gets even better. Look at this. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, except the message of the cross. And I was with you in weakness. Remember, God chose the weak things. And in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Hallelujah. 
You know, by the way, Paul was educated. He was well educated. So if you're not able to finish school because you're lazy, you better go get that degree. Because God will use the person who has no degree, but God will also use the person who has a degree. Finish school. Stay in school, y'all. <laughs> that, that message applies to you. Now, when the gospel is preached, I'm here to tell you, there must be a demonstration of the spirit and a power. Must be. Why? So that all boasting may be stripped away. That's why. You know, this is why we must seek to move in signs and wonders. Signs and wonders is not optional, I'm starting to realize. This is not just for a certain segment of Christianity that God has decided to touch in this way. A lot of the bad results of church we're seeing today is the result of preaching the gospel, preaching the cross without the demonstration of the spirit and the power. This is not optional, it's a must. You see, let me tell you right now, if the gospel is only preached intellectually, logically, academically, with wise and persuasive words, it will result in a Christianity that is filled with pride. That's exactly what we see today. Paul could have, uh, he could have focused on delivering his, the message of the cross in this way. You know, back in the um, times of the Greeks, the Greeks were masters of rhetoric. They were masters of public speaking communication skills. In fact, if you went to college in those days, one of the majors that you can choose is rhetoric, just communication skills. And Paul was no stranger to rhetoric himself. And back in those days, speakers could get in front of a crowd and use rhetoric to convince you of anything. They can make guys buy nail polish and girls buy football tickets. Thank you. (laughs) I mean, these masters of rhetoric, they can convince you of anything. In fact, people who have a great command of rhetoric, they can sell you anything, right? Salesmen and cult leaders are often great students of rhetoric. They are. But Paul didn't come preaching with great rhetoric. Instead, he says here, instead, I came with the simple message of the cross while demonstrating the power of God by the spirit of God through signs, wonders, healings and miracles. Paul chose to keep it simple when he would go out and plant churches and reach new places. He didn't say, hey, you guys, you guys all need to get a master's of divinity degree just like I have. Or else you will not experience God and his love and his wisdom and his power. No, he just kept it real simple. He kept it real simple. And he says he did this so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You know, when, when your faith, when a person's faith rests in God's power, there's a way in which it humbles you. Rather than if you just sat there and you listened to the gospel message and you were like, whoa, 
you know what? I think I'm smart enough to understand this message. In fact, I know completely why God would do this thing and why he would send his son. Now I understand it. And now I will accept it. And now I will become a Christian. Now, if people come to Christ in this way, and many do still, the result is not humility, it's pride. But when people's faith rests on God's power because they saw signs and wonders, healings and miracles, there's a way in which it humbles you. They're like, I didn't really understand the message that day, actually. I understood it like maybe two months later. But man, something was crazy happening in my heart that day when I saw that woman getting healed. When I saw that woman coming out that wheelchair, I said, whoa, God is real. I must give my life to him. And I started crying on the floor. When you have that kind of conversion, there is a way in which it humbles you. You don't go, well, you know, I figured it out after two months of listening. No, I I was in rebellion against God and I saw this miracle and I just cried. And every time I think about it, I'm still humbled. When your faith rests on God's power, I'm telling you, there's a way of humbling you. Amen. And God knew this. But, you know, because of the way the gospel was preached in the 20th century, we have a whole generation of Christians that are putting their faith in the wisdom of men. And the wisdom of seminarians and scholars rather than on the power of God. Why? Because they haven't seen the power of God. Many people grew up in the mainline evangelical churches. They've never seen a single miracle. They haven't seen signs and wonders. And the church, unfortunately, is full of pride. And they are easily offended by anything that the Holy Spirit is doing on the earth today. They hear about a revival here. They hear about a revival there. And then they hear about all the signs and wonders that are happening there. Gold dust is appearing during our worship services. What gold dust, man? That must be a crook. That preacher is setting you guys up. People are getting gold feelings in the middle of the worship service. Look, ah, I got a gold filling. <laughs> that guy went to the dentist right before the revival service. He's lying to you. And because the church is so full of pride, they are offended by the charismatic movement. They are offended by the revival that's going on in the world. Because the way they came to Christ, they put their faith on the wisdom of men. Does somebody get this message today? This is a good message. This is a powerful message. Hallelujah. Because it's not my message. It's your message, Lord. And wherever they see something that that they themselves haven't experienced, instead of seeking the Lord, they create doctrines to justify their lack of power and their lack of experience. So that they can feel good about the fact that they're not experiencing it. That they can make you look like the fool and they feel competent, respectable. You're a fanatic. You're a sensationalist. That's what they say. That's their lingo. By the way, even if a person was a fanatic and a sensationalist, 
not very much in the spirit of love if you're using those labels. You know, if I really love a brother, I will not, and that person is a real fanatic, I will not say, hey, man, you fanatic. Can you see the sensational ways in which you're acting? Man, yeah. No, if you do that, man, you close that person's heart. It's not very loving. Tony, they're not speaking out of the spirit of God. I'll tell you that. Hallelujah. And these people, they're not humble enough to truly investigate and discern if a revival is a true move of God. Instead, an entire, entire branch of theology has risen up and infected the body of Christ with a fear of the Holy Spirit. People are scared of the Holy Spirit. Bill Johnson said it like this. These people who believe these doctrines, they, they dis, these doctrines deceive under the disguise of staying undeceived. You know, all that charismatic stuff, it's good for you, but you know what? For me, you know, I just tend to be cautious. I just, I just want to be, I, I'm, you know, that's just not. Tongues, okay, tongues, it's in the Bible. Yeah, I understand. Okay, it's still for today. All right, it's still for you, but not for me. Right? And they are so cautious. And they go under this, this, this umbrella that I don't want to be deceived. That's the only reason I'm, I'm staying. I, my attitude is the way it is. But, brothers and sisters, if you really peel it back, there's a spirit of pride that is speaking there. You know, Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 11, after mentioning the signs and wonders that he's been doing, you know what he said? He said, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell him that. Blessed are you if you're not offended by Christ. Any time a revival breaks out with signs and wonders, many Christians in the mainline evangelical denominations, they get offended. In fact, actually, some old school Pentecostal and charismatic churches, they also get offended. You know, last year, and I might be putting myself out here by, by saying this, but, you know, last year there was the Lakeland Revivals in Florida with Todd Bentley. You know how many people came up to me and they were like, Christian, what do you think about that? And I said, I don't know. What do you think? I know what I think. The issue is not about what I think. It's about what you think. So I just want to know what you think. What do you think? Well, I don't know about all that. Todd Bentley, you know, when he's laying hands on people, he says, bam! In the name of the Father, the Son, and bam! That's just so wrong. I am so offended. And this kind of signs and wonders that he's doing there, he kicked the pregnant woman in the stomach. Claiming that she was about to get healed. Some of you getting offended right now. <laughs> and man, all those tattoos all over his arms, it just shows that, well, you know. <laughs> or even like people that are all about the Spirit of God, they're all about revival and stuff, they even ask me, man, what do you think about that? I don't, I think, it's, I, I don't think it's from God. I don't think it's from God. And, and let's not excuse Todd Bentley. He made mistakes. And he was, a, he was quite, a, quite a bit careless. But you know what? I think God chose him on purpose because he's offensive. 
Do you hear the message that's coming through right now? God chose Tom Bentley because Tom Bentley has tattoos all over his arms and piercings all over his face. He's not the typical revivalist that you've known. The Benny Hinn or the Catherine Coleman. He just came out in a t-shirt and jeans. And he didn't say all the right things. He didn't do all the right things. And in fact, he wasn't even... And we can't excuse the fact that, you know, he, he made a mistake in his marriage. But I really believe that God chose Todd Bentley on purpose. Because revival, America asks for revival all the time. They get down on their knees. They say, God, give us revival. Send us revival, Lord. And one prophet said it like this. God chose Todd Bentley to bring the revival just to see and test whether the American church really wants revival. Because if you really want it, you will get over the fact that he's got tattoos over his body. Because if you really wanted it, you would have investigated and seen that there's churches in Europe that are on fire because they visited the Lakeland Revivals. And if you really wanted a revival, you would have known that Stacey Campbell, Che An, all these other apostolic leaders, they're the ones who prophesied this coming revival before it happened. Right around the time it began, they had a service. It's on YouTube. And people who are, who are offended by this and they, they, they were hating on Todd Benny, they're the ones who posted it up. And praise God, to my benefit, I get to watch it. Because they get to hate on, they hate on Todd Bentley, so I get to watch more of Todd Bentley. And that's for like a lot of people, a lot of these kind of charismatic leaders out there. I can see them on YouTube because so many people hate on them. But you, if you really investigate it, you have seen. And all these other leaders that have been proven, they're the ones who blessed him to do it. They didn't bless him to go have this like extramarital affair. But they did bless him to lead the revival. And man, so many people were saved, healed, delivered through that revival. Jesus said, John the Baptist came, neither eating nor drinking. And you said, he has a demon. The son of man, Jesus talking about himself. I come eating and drinking. And you call me a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But Jesus said something very interesting. He said, wisdom is proved by her children. Wisdom is proved by her children. By the fruits of a movement, you will truly see whether it was from God or not. And where all the people who ridiculed and hated on Toronto Airport Church... Today we see so many ministries that have been set ablaze and they have respectable 501c organizations and websites and they're on the cutting edge of media ministry. And guess where they had their start? Toronto Airport Church. And 10 years from now, we're going to hear all the fruit that came out of Lakeland Revival despite Tom Bentley's mistakes.
Brothers and sisters, blessed is the one who is not offended by me, is what Christ said. The reason I believe that so many people get offended by the moves of God, because it's because of pride. So brothers and sisters, my prayer is that let us humble ourselves and pray for the manifestation of the glory of God in our midst, along with an ever-increasing openness to the manner in which he chooses to manifest that glory. And if the glory of the latter house is supposed to be greater than the former, and our God is a God who saves the best for last, that means we're about to see and we're about to be involved in some of the most amazing revivals that history has yet to see. And the things that we're about to see will be unprecedented. And the religious authorities will say, it's not in the Bible. What you're experiencing is not in the Bible. It's probably demonic. And they will come and they will be offended. And brothers and sisters, I'm just saying, when they do that, don't be offended. Rejoice. It's a hidden form of blessing. Because God has called you to be involved in his last day work. You know, when Noah was told to build an ark, You think he had a hard time? Hey, Noah, I, I don't know about this. I never heard God doing this. I never, I never, I never, I never saw it written down. Ain't nobody else built an ark before you. Look, I don't think this is God. And Noah just, <laughs> Lord, why? And kept building. Despite the stigma, he kept building. All the way until the floodwaters came. Brothers and sisters, there's another judgment coming on the whole earth. And it will be only those who endure the stigma of the cross, the stigma of revival, the stigma of the anointing. And hopefully I'll, re- I'll preach on the other stigmas later. I'm supposed to only preach on the cross today, but I'm getting excited. I was going to get a little carried away. There's only those who will endure the stigma and humble themselves. And not rest their faith on the wisdom of men or the wisdom of the world, but put their faith on the wisdom, on the power of God and the wisdom of God that is in Christ. Only those who do that, oh, hallelujah, they will be at the front of the coming and last revivals that God will send on this earth. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much that God, that you are a God who opposes the proud and you give grace to the humble, Lord. And salvation is wholly a work that you have done and work that you dispose. And it's from start to finish a work of grace so that no one can boast. And we pray that Father... That as our church matures and grows, I pray that, Lord, that each of us will stay humble. Not following the wisdom of the world. But seeking to move in signs and wonders to demonstrate the power of your spirit. And preaching just the simple message of Christ crucified. 
May we trust these things to bring in the mighty harvest. It's not going to be academia that is going to be at the forefront of the last revivals of bringing in the last harvest. It will be all those poor, weak, rejected, despised, lowly people of the earth. Blessed are they, for theirs is the kingdom, Lord. They will stand up on the day of judgment and say, Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, how great and unsearchable is your wisdom and your ways beyond being found out. And yet we thank you that you reveal it to us by your spirit. Everything that we know that is true, that is a spiritual truth that brings life, has come to us as a result of your spirit revealing it to us. So God, we continue to humble ourselves before you so that you may continue to reveal yourself to us. And may we always stay humble knowing that all this has not come as a result of our diligence and hearts work and studying, but it's come as a result of humbling ourselves before a wise and almighty God. We thank you for it. We bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.